Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of In Doubt. This is Courtney, and I'm so glad that you're listening for this episode. For the last couple weeks, we've been in a throwback series. So we're focusing on some of our previous episodes from 2016 and 2017. This week is our last episode of this series, and we'll be hearing from Mark Wallenberg. He's the National Director of Church Mobilization for the International Justice Mission in Canada. For some of you, that might be an organization that you're familiar with, and for others, you may not have heard of them. IJM is the largest anti-slavery organization in the world, and they work to rescue and restore victims of sex trafficking, forced slave labor, land theft, and more. And you'll hear Mark talk through that a little bit. With Isaac talking to Mark on this episode, the focus is on the role that the churches can and do play in the form of justice. In the West, it's easy for us to attend a conference and hear about what's going on outside of our country or even in our country, but what does it actually mean to engage with the poor and the suffering in our community and our world? Another part of the episode breaks into the discussion around cyber sex trafficking, what it is, what it means for all of us, and how we can come alongside organizations like IJM to help end slavery. So I hope that wherever you're listening, you enjoy this episode with Isaac and Mark Wallenberg. All right, with me today in studio is Mark Wallenberg, who is IJM Canada's National Director of Church Mobilization. Um, IJM, uh, if you didn't know, is International Justice Mission, uh, and it's been around for quite some time now, but thanks for being here with us today, Mark. Great to be with you, Isaac. Um, so work aside for a second, we're going to come back to IJM, but work aside, who, who are you? Like, what's your, who's Mark? Um, I was, uh, a, like, I think a lot of people born on the prairies, mm-hmm. grew up in the, in the heartland of the country and then moved to BC as a, as a, as a teenager and right choice, grew right up, choice. yeah, there, you want to, you want to move that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I grew up in Kelowna actually. So loved doing outdoor stuff. Being on the lake in the summertime, skiing in the winter, I played lots of sports, football, basketball, soccer, so very, very much enjoy the outdoors. I, I don't play competitive sports right now, I'm just uh, not, not quite able to, to, to get down the floor as fast as I used to, <laughs> but I enjoy uh, swimming, uh, working out at the gym. Okay. Um, we have five children, my wife and I have five children, and they're all adults now, so we have, we have time now to you know, go hiking, walking, just uh, enjoy... Uh, what, what living in the Lower Mainland is yeah. is is offering us? Yeah, that's awesome. And grandchildren as well, or uh, one one grandchild? Yes. Oh my gosh, so that's good. Uh, yeah, so we're we're kind of in that place of uh, of just enjoying sort of what what we've uh, um, you know poured into our children, yeah. the things that we're seeing them do, and celebrating with them the accomplishments in their lives and. Yeah. How do we support them, I guess, is what yeah. we're looking at in the next uh, season of our life. That's good. That's really good. Um, all right. So IJM, again, International Justice Mission. I feel like a lot of people, including myself, we just have this sort of vague idea. Like we've heard of IJM a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, in fact, I think it was the first time I heard of IJM was back in 
uh, I was a little bit late in hearing about it. It was 2012, and I, one of my coworkers who I was serving with at Old Spaghetti Factory oh. uh, said that she was in school doing her law so that she can go and work for IJM. And I was like, what's it, IJM? And she told me about it, and she explained a little bit. But anyways, we have this vague idea that IJM is, okay, it's to do with justice. It's all around the world. It has Christian roots. But what exactly is IJM, and what exactly does it do? Well, International Justice Mission primarily addresses the problem of violence against the poor. Okay. Uh, when we look at issues of global poverty, we see that the poor um, suffer because they have the lack of the basic necessities of life, clean drinking water, access to medical care, education. Th those are realities that, that exist in the world today. And most people are aware of that. Right, yeah. What most people aren't aware of is the fact that the poor also experience this everyday violent assault because the poor have no power. Uh, they, they, are, they are vulnerable to those who have power to exploit them because either they don't have education or they, they're just seen as easy targets to right. be exploited, whether it's to be forced into a slavery, working in a brick kiln in India, or uh, sex trafficked into a brothel in, in, a, in, a, in, again, another, you know, sort of um, place that that exploits the, the, the most vulnerable, the children, mm. really. And, and so Cambodia, we had a, a project there in the Philippines as well. So that's, those are the kinds of things that we address. So it's the violence, the everyday violence, the poor experience. Right. So, I mean, a lot of times in the West, you, you're, maybe your main, I shouldn't say your main because you could tell me that, but you really want to make it known to a lot of people that like this is what's actually going on in the world. But when you're in those different uh, countries, what exactly are you doing to stop this sort of violence and stuff like that? Yeah, so so we do um, want people in Canada and around the world, in the Western world, to understand that this this reality exists for yeah. the poor in the developing world. The UN estimates that 4 billion people in the world live outside the protection of the rule of law, and that's in the developing world. So, so no one there to protect them from those who abuse their power to take advantage of them. So what IGM does in, in, in our casework is we investigate. So we, we have people who will go to find those who are being exploited. So they'll pose in undercover settings to, to, to find uh, those who are being exploited. Uh, we then have, uh, we, we, and we do this in cooperation with local authorities. So okay. we don't have any standing to go and rescue anybody out of a brothel or a, a, a place where they're being exploited for their labor. Uh, we work with local police. So we have to actually train oftentimes local authorities to understand the, the need to, to engage with us in uh, getting people out of these places. Yeah. Um, but then we have a great aftercare group of professionals who help people heal and restore from the trauma that they've experienced. Because it's when, when I talk about the violence, it's, it's every day. And so that just wears the human spirit down, where you're seen as a commodity. You're not treated as a human being, but simply as a product that produces wealth for somebody else. We then have a group of lawyers who then work to take these cases into the public justice system, working with prosecutors in these countries to see that those who, who do these things are held accountable to the rule of law. It's not that the laws don't exist. It's that they're not enforced on behalf of the most vulnerable people. Because in many places, the poor can't afford a lawyer to actually take their case forward. So we provide that for them at, at no cost so that they're actually able to see that justice actually can work in their favor. And then we, we also work with community organizations, uh, churches in these countries to help raise in these, in these countries the 
the, the voice of the most vulnerable, to let people know that these are people that are, are created in the image of God that have value and have dignity and, and are worth our time to actually uh, stand with and, and align ourselves with. So we, we do a lot of advocacy work then within, uh, within these uh, countries. That's awesome. Do, do you find that most countries or let's say villages or whatever you're working in, if you come and approach them with, you know, a project where it's like you want to help, you know, um, with some human trafficking or whatever, do you find that most of the times the, the authorities there uh, accept you like as, yes, we want to work with you as an outside organization? Like, is it most most of them? Um, when we first started, it actually was not that. Um, it was it was actually, you know, very hard going because yeah, I would imagine, yeah. first of all, you have to acknowledge that the problem exists. And that's even that's even true here in Canada. Mm. You know, we think Canada is this great, you know, justice-loving country, but the reality is injustice occurs here as well. And so, even to acknowledge that human trafficking exists in Canada, um, as it does in the developing world, is sometimes hard for people to do. But then you also deal with some some cultural issues in which, um, you know, you you have a, a system in India that 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 place people in different le- levels of of, of sort of value within the, within the country. And now the caste system was outlawed. So it, it was, it was said, this isn't what we want to have as a, as a functional thing, but yet it still exists as people have grown up with that kind of, kind of thinking. So part of what IJM's approach is, is, is to come in and say, how can we help you? So we do a lot of training of police officers to help police officers understand the value they have to keep people safe in their communities. Right. Sadly, in some of these countries, police officers are are, are paid like a half-time salary, and, and they're not seen as the professionals that, that we mm-hmm. treat police officers with here. So so having to build capacity and, and understanding is, is one thing that we do. And also train judges, prosecutors, social workers to, to, to basically let them know, we're here to help you in this fight. Because there are good people in these countries who want to do something. Yeah. But oftentimes they just don't have the resources or they don't have the, um, the time to invest in actually transforming public justice systems like we're, we're trying to do. That's amazing. And, and, and you briefly mentioned a little bit of connecting with the churches, but what does the spiritual component of IJM sort of look like? Yeah, it's, it really comes from uh, understanding this God of justice mm-hmm. uh, who, who uh, in, in Scripture aligns himself and, and pays particular attention to the widow, to the orphan. Yeah to the, the marginalized. Yeah. And in, in passages like uh, Isaiah 117, you know, it's, it, we're told, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless and the mm-hmm. widow. And, and, and we say, oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Who wouldn't say yes to that? Sure, but then yeah. you go, so what would a, a, an oppressed person actually find encouraging yeah. if that's what we're supposed to do? Hmm. And, and so one of my, um, inc- one of my uh, favorite talking points is basically... Someone who's in a brick kiln or in a steel factory working as a slave or trafficked into a brothel, if they knew that people in North America uh, were, were praying for their release, were actually speaking up and saying, this is a situation that shouldn't be happening in our yeah. world today, I think they'd be encouraged just yeah. knowing that people are aware yeah. and beginning to say, how do we change this? Mm. Uh, because if you're hopeless, if you think that no one knows about you or no one even thinks that that your situation is is worthy of their time and energy well that's that's very discouraging yeah but when we can say to people no there are people who are supporting igm yeah. in in other parts of the world 
to, to, to say, we know you're here and we're coming for you. We want to rescue you. That's super encouraging well, for them. Yeah, and you know, you even look, you know, just kind of relate this, what you're just saying. You think of Acts when Peter was in prison, you had the church earnestly praying for him. The angel came and rescued him. So yeah. not only is it encouraging for them to know that people are praying, but I mean, God works through our prayers as well at the same time, right? And we, we believe that prayer is such an active part of seeking justice. It's not a passive thing where you just kind of think, well, we're just going to pray for justice. But but it actually becomes an active part of what is 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 the fuel, in a sense, hmm. to keep us motivated. Because it's hard work yeah. following Him into these places. That's really, really cool. Um, now, to move a little bit more into just how we as Christians think about justice, um, I find that in the North American church right now, I feel like we're somewhat more focused on maybe right doctrine, right theology, right programs, right churches, right home groups, right music, all these different things, more than uh, the actual practice of the doctrine sometimes. And, uh, you know, we've heard it said that, you know, um, you could say right orthodoxy, like right beliefs, should lead to right orthopraxy, the right, you know, practice of those things. And, you know, I'd mentioned to you uh, that I feel like more Christians in the West would be prone to go to conference on justice than actually go out and do justice, you know, practically get into the, into the dirty world, you know. So I guess the question is, why does the church seem to hesitate with this, especially in the West, uh, when it comes to this actual justice, you know? I think there's, there's, there's a couple of things. One is, I think, I think we, re, we really need to read the Gospels again mm. with the eyes of a God of justice, Mm. who calls us to justice, and then also through the words of Jesus and the things that he he did when he was here on this earth. You know, right. his very first sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, you know, pulls out the scrolls from Isaiah and then and then preaches this sermon. And Luke 4, 18 and 19, basically is the, is the words that he spoke, that, that good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And and then we we read on that, those who are blind will have sight. Those who are in captivity will be freed, and those who are oppressed will be released. It's, it's this, it's this, the words and the actions together right. that Jesus came to announce and to say, if you're marginalized, if you're if you if you're seen as 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 less than valuable in, as as a as a human being in this world, there's something wonderful that God has to say to you. Right. This this kingdom that Jesus came to announce is actually good news because it turns that upside down. And God aligns Himself with the with the poor, and so part of the challenge I think for the church is that we've missed we've missed going to the poor. If we're not engaged in an active way with the poor, we're not probably going to see injustice up close and personal. Like actually know someone, sure, meet someone who's who's experienced that. Um, but but when we actually engage with the poor, that's when we begin to actually come face to face with the reality of, of this is what it looks like. This is how people suffer. So one of the churches that we planted in Edmonton um, was in a, a sort of fringe inner city area. And, and, and you begin to realize that, that people live in, sometimes in poverty, but not because, because they make bad choices, but because actually there are few options and people right. take advantage of that. So, so slum landlords will not have great living conditions and have places in disrepair and don't care about it because, well, it's just the poor. And mm. if you don't like it, we'll find another place. Yeah. 
And, and all of a sudden you start aligning yourself and becoming friends with those, those people. And it's like, no, this is somebody that I want to, I want to fight for. They, they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, just like I would, if I was in that situation. So, so using some of our, in a sense, some of our power to come alongside those who, who, who who are powerless is, is a great way to begin to balance and bring equality into, into the world. And so that's one part. And I think the other part is sometimes in our nice, comfortable life to look at the, the, the horrific reality of, of this kind of injustice and violence. It's just, it's upsetting to us. And, and so we would rather, you know, numb ourselves in other ways to, to this reality. And, and so there's something of a spiritual awakening that mm. needs to take place that we actually would see the world. Yeah with the same eyes that this God of justice sees the world. Yeah. And for me, one of the things that has quite, been quite profound is that this God who sees everything, looks at all the good and evil in the world, has not just said enough and blown everything up. Yeah. There's a restraint yeah. that he's shown. And I think that's because he's waiting for us mm. to get this so that we begin to join him in actually bringing about... Right the kind of transformation that Jesus came to declare. Yeah. There's good news. Yeah. Folks, you know, the, the, the world's kingdom is not the kingdom of God. And we yeah. get to work towards bringing that, that kingdom here on this earth. You, you had mentioned uh, the scary passage that we kind of don't like to look at, uh, Matthew 25. Um, for those who are kind of unfamiliar, you want to kind of paraphrase what Jesus says there? Yeah, so Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples and, and he's talking about you know, the sheep and the goats, you know, it's, it's an end time, you know, kind of judgment type of, of conversation. He's saying like, who's in, who's out. Yeah. And, and, and basically Jesus makes this, this scandalous statement that, that those who treated the poor, which ultimately Jesus reveals as him, right. who, who, who feed the hungry, who give water to those who are thirsty, who visit those in prison, who clothe the naked, that they're doing this to Jesus. And ultimately, at the end uh, of the passage in Matthew 25, it's like, well, you get to go into eternity. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I think that, that there's something in that passage that we need to grab a hold of. And I'm not at all saying that, that we do not pay attention to what Christ did in the cross sure. and all of those things. Yeah. But this is, this is pretty radical for, for us to look at Jesus's words here saying there's something that's you can equate to right. what you do to the poor, to the marginalized, right. yeah. that, that also is an indicator of your standing with me. Sure, yeah. So that, that kind of makes me go, oh, so how many churches evaluate yeah. you know, their kind of standing with Jesus or, or individual believers right. evaluate their standing with Jesus by how many people have I fed? How many people have I visited? Yeah, acquainting yourself with yeah, the poor. Exactly. And you had mentioned also about, you know, in Galatians, when Paul and Barnabas are sent out to remember the poor, right? The, the only, the only uh, instruction given in the, in the New Testament about how to plant a church yeah. was given to Paul and Barnabas by the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and it was remember the poor. The yeah. very thing Paul said we were glad to do. Yeah. So obviously there was something that Jesus taught that his disciples caught that the only thing that they would say, if you're going to actually plant churches and what are you going to put into the sort of DNA of any new community that you would start? Yeah. Remember the poor. Yeah. And as a church planter myself, 
It wasn't until actually I had planted two churches already mm. that I heard someone speak on this passage. Yeah. And I went, oh, I'd never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. And so the third church that we, we planted was actually intentionally planted to be amongst and with the poor. And they become our friends, not yeah. just that, hey, we're going to come in here and do these things for you, but we actually got to to meet people and build friendships and relationships. That's so good. Um, you know, our conversations are so, they're quick, right? We just want to give it a little scraping yeah. of different things. So let's hone in on one thing. Um, again, when I was first talking to you earlier on, uh, you had mentioned that you went to the Philippines and that you were sort of, um, uh, you were re- your eyes were open to this new kind of cyber sex trafficking. So I was wondering if you could kind of share a little bit about that and just kind of what that is. Yeah. So uh, IGM has worked in the Philippines um, with sort of street level um, uh, exploitation of children through brothels and, and nightclubs. And we've really seen a significant decrease in the number of children. Mm. In fact, in the city of Cebu, a 79% decrease in wow. the number of children being sexually exploited wow. through storefront, you know, kind of exploitation like awesome. that. Awesome. Yeah. But a, a new reality has, has come up and that is cyber sex trafficking, which is basically the live streaming of, of sexual exploitation of children, sexual abuse of children. And this is um, sadly taking place in, in homes. So it's actually uh, under the awareness and cooperation of parents who, who, will, who will exploit their own children or relatives, uh, children, um, cousins, nephews, and, and will live stream this to audiences around the world. Uh, the Philippines is, uh, has a growing infrastructure to handle uh, the internet and wireless uh, activity. And the sad part about that is that it's, it's being used by people to exploit children. The reality is, is that the, the purchasers, the demand side is coming from the West. Yeah. So, so that's the challenge that, that we also have to realize. And, and Canada actually is in the top three countries of, of nations that host and, and, and uh, resource and provide uh, images of children being sexually exploit, exploited in the world. So the U.S., Russia, and Canada are the top three in the world. So, so this stuff, again, it affects us here. Yeah. But IJM works to actually rescue these children out. And just last week, we were able to rescue uh, four children. Um, uh, two, two families, so they're siblings, four, fa- four children from one family, four from another in one, uh, in one operation. And we take them into an aftercare facility where they're cared for, where they're given the right kind of therapy and treatment. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then we work to, to actually help them restore their lives. Uh, in, in March, I was in Washington at our global pair gra- gathering, and we met our first survivor of uh, cyber sex trafficking that we rescued. Um, she's now 19, so she's an adult. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the transformation in her life was amazing. I, she, she joined us in prayer to ask wow. God to continue to rescue more children like her who are being exploited in this way. And so that hope is really something that, yeah. that we hold on to as well. That these 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 incredibly brutal experiences that that children experience are not the end of their life. That they actually can be restored to a yeah. place of wholeness and dignity, and and life. Yeah, that's so good. I I remember I'm actually going to put this video on our um, episode page. It was a video about cyber sex trafficking that IJM put out, IJM Canada put out, and uh, there was just this one really uh, just profound scene where you know it showed you know just a little bit of the the children being exploited, but then it showed this aerial view of a whole bunch of urban houses in the West. And it says, you know, this is who the consumers are. Yeah. 
And it's just, it opens your eyes to think this is, this is my neighborhood, you know? And that's why we, we've, we started this campaign called Not In My Screen. So if you go to notinmyscreen.ca, you'll find out more about it. But basically it's saying here in, in, in Canada, we want people to stand up and say, first of all, they're not going to view it. Yeah. So we've got a little sticker that you can purchase that, you know, just put on your, your phone or your tablet and just say, I, I'm not going to engage in, in watching this. And the other is you can take a, a pledge that basically says if you see anything or if you know of anyone engaged in this, that you'll actually not be just passive, but you'll actually report it. And there's a, a place uh, you can go to cybertip.ca mm-hmm. where those kinds of things can be reported. And we just want, we want, we want Canada to become a, a nation that is not known because of our demand for this kind of stuff, but actually we start standing up and yeah. saying, this isn't right. This isn't what should be taking place. That's so good. So that's what, that's what we're hoping yeah. uh, Canadians will join us in. I love it. Um, if you had one thing, I guess you could say, to encourage, I guess, Christians across this nation when it comes to remembering the poor, you know, <laughs> to be really exact, you know, thinking of justice more, uh, what would you what would you kind of say to encourage? You were a pastor also, so in a pastoral way, what, what would you say to us? I would say, um, ask God, the God of justice, to open your eyes to the things just around you mm-hmm. that 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 sometimes we just overlook or we neglect or we don't think about, right. like this could be happening here, that we actually ask God to help us to see. And then once we see, then then it's how do we respond? And sometimes it's just to start off with praying and, you, and, and we do that. Or if you see someone, you know, who is being bullied, that you actually step in and say, this isn't okay. And the best way to do that actually is to, to come and speak to the person being bullied and, and to show them that you're a friend. You don't have to confront the bully. Right. You, you, you align yourself with the person that is, yeah. that is there. Tell, telling, telling people to stop telling sexist and racist jokes is just another way that we begin mm. to hit at those small things that, that, that sometimes happen in our culture that we accept. Yeah. But really are at the, at the, at their base injustice right. yeah. because they're demeaning. And so, and so those are things that are a simple place that you can begin. Uh, you can find out more about IJM on our website, IJM.ca. That, that will tell you about more what we can do yeah. as we look for people to partner with us in the developing world. Great. But your eyes open and your mouth willing to engage in this stuff here. Great. Well, no, that's our time, obviously. But thank you so much, Mark, just for coming to our studios and talking to us about this. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. This episode is a great tool to be able to stop and think about what's really going on in the world we live in. Yes, it might be chaotic and overwhelming, but if we're placing our trust in Jesus and continually learning how to walk like Him, we can find peace and hope. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this is our last week of the Throwback Series, and like always, we'll have all the links up on our episode page online. So if you're interested in finding out more about what you can do to help with International Justice Mission's cause, you can find that on our website or, like Mark said, go to ijm.ca. We recognize that amidst the fear and panic that has risen during the COVID-19 pandemic, that there are still opportunities to learn and listen, especially if you're listening to this and are either in self-isolation, working from home, or are being quarantined. Ultimately, we know that God is in control, and In Doubt will continue to produce our regular episodes while providing more resources for you to listen to and engage with on our website and on social media. We want to assure you that the In Doubt staff is taking necessary precautions for overall safety and health, and we will continue to keep the conversation going on the show. 
So if you're looking for a little extra something right now, I'd encourage you to check out our Bible study on the book of Jude. It's a five-session, verse-by-verse film series where Isaac breaks down Jude as it still remains relevant and important to all of us. You have the option of either going to our website and subscribing to receive the study by email, or you can watch the videos online. Or I'd also recommend listening to Dr. John Newfeld, and there's multiple ways that you can do that. You'll most likely recognize the name as he's been a guest multiple times, so you can go back to previous episodes of In Doubt, or you can go to Back to the Bible's website at backtothebible.ca, and there you'll find Dr. John's daily broadcasts, where he teaches through the Bible. And during this time, you'll also be able to view weekly sermons each Sunday that are designed to help you if your church hasn't been able to switch to online teachings just yet. Anyways, thanks so much for listening to this episode of In Doubt, and I hope that you join us for a new episode next week. Matt Hammett, former lead singer of Sanctus Real and author of the new book, Lead Me, joins us as our guest. Matt and Isaac talk together about what it means to lead one's family in faith and discuss how Matt's decision to leave the music industry changed his family. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 